1: I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 30th of December 2008. I always advise the newcomers to look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com because on the website you'll find lots of talks I've given in the past where I try to give you information and tie it together for you and show you how the world is really run. Not by happenstance and crisis after crisis developing out of nowhere but actually how it's planned that's how government keeps control over people is by planning the future they see in their own writings done through the ages in their history books that if society was allowed to develop by itself there'd be chaos or what they call anarchy anarchy is any other system except this particular arc the one we're on and it's there as you see therefore they always plan the future you can also look into Alan Watt sent in sentinel.eu for transcripts which you can download and print up and they're written in the various languages of Europe a reality really is given to us I used to look into the the big companies and organisations big marketing companies that would set off world trends world trends used to take a lot of money a lot of manpower at one time to deal with various medias across the world but today with the internet and the the interrelationship between all media it's very simple to start off world trends in any particular area the big foundations have used this technique for over a hundred years they used to use radio big time they'd even have uh, talks put on the radio which you would never even believe were associated with the foundations that set them out there they get famous people to bring up topics, and they'd have these little debates, etc. But in reality, it was what they call raising public consciousness towards a particular issue, the issue that they want you to think about, because they we're programming us all along a certain path with the outcome that we'll all have, that outcome, the one that was predicated for us by those who perceived the whole idea in the first place. That's how the world is truly run. And when we think back logically over the, the scenarios we face in our own lifetimes with the big, big things that happen, whether it's wars or even the Gulf War, and then, of course, we have the Gulf War II and so on, these take years to plan in advance just for the military strategy alone. You don't just go in there and, and invade at the drop of a hat. It doesn't happen that way. It's always after the events we find information. We we find out, for instance, they were ready to invade Afghanistan before 9-11 happened in 2001. They had armies next door waiting to go in. That's the kind of thing we find out. It's the same thing when 9-11 happened, and you think back on it, and we're told right away that we've got to keep the economy going. Now, a few buildings came down in one city, and suddenly we all had to spend to keep the economy going and if we look back on it there was no slowdown in the economy at all with the absence of those particular buildings so what really is going on we're deceived in so many fronts it's it's just incredible the same with this latest farce with the bank scandals as though they had never known for years that they created these bubbles of worthless stocks where they got very good shysters to come out and market them as as, as great, uh, important uh, value for money stocks when they were worthless in the first place. So they dress them up, they dress them up as best they can with all kinds of marketing skills and up the prices. If you're selling a potato at the end of a year of good good gab, it's still a potato, regardless of what surrounds it. I'll be back with more after this break. <laughs> I'm Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. I think we've got a better line now to reconnect. This was a bad line initially. I'm talking about how trends are created and how they travel across the world to alter our opinions and sometimes to program us for something that's yet to come. But very often what we're being programmed for, as it appears to us through the propaganda, is not the real reason, there's always another reason. Uh, for it happening in the first place. We're the last to you know what the real causes are. But we can see through a lot of the scams that go on. And the other day I talked about how news broadcasters who did their own, you kind of know, 60 minute type version on Fox News under contract were denied by their employee to air a program on Monsanto with all the evidence they had uh, on the, how dangerous the particular drug that they give to cattle now is on humans as well as cattle. The drug makes the the cattle produce more milk. And Monsanto leaned heavily on Fox, and Fox leaned on these particular uh, newscasters, the the investigative journalists. It went all the way up to the the, the court, and the judge ruled in favor of their boss because he said there's no law that any news service must tell the truth to the public. And that comes to a lot of people as some kind of revelation because going back to people like Brzezinski, whose speciality was was dealing with the minds of millions and billions perhaps of people by studying them, by giving access to very good information on how human behavior truly works, he said himself that that most people will be unable to reason for themselves. They'll expect the media to do it for them. Well, if the media is not telling you truth... They're lying to you. Then you're in a a real mess, aren't you? Most folk really do believe the media is there to do their thinking for them and to truly warn them uh, so they can prepare for emergencies and so on. Personally, on a personal basis. And in the presentation of news media, we forget, too, that the news medias are private corporations that are in the business of generating income for themselves a lot of the handouts that they they give to the press ends up in the newspapers, and they're given out by, often by big companies, international corporations, and really you're being sold propaganda. But sometimes it's not presented as though it was. Some countries now mandate that they have to say advertisements at the bottom or the top. It's a handout from some big corporation. Others don't bother. And even when they don't bother, even when they're supposed to have put it there, they can get round it by giving little personal interviews to the CEOs of corporations. But they get paid for it. But here's an article here that ties right in with the movie industry and with the big foundations that are on about. They've got to kill off a lot of the people out there. There's just too many people. As they echo Prince Philip and many others before him. The movie industry is churning out movies now of disasters, generally to do with infertility arising out of a virus, the gets unleashed, or some other cause. And one of them has come out recently, after the children of men, is the happening, which is very, very similar, again, mass death, etc. Because Gia, you know, the planet again, the, the mother goddess turns on this scourge, this curse they have, this virus on the world, which is man himself. And the plants start to create some noxious stuff that kills off humans. So the planet was getting its own back. This is all getting us ready for something. But, you know, the, the big corporations love this stuff. They love this stuff because they sell. They sell so much doing it. There's eight movies coming out, apparently, all disaster-type movies. Where, where nations are just wiped right out. Kids ready for something, supposedly, which they can certainly do. They can't cure the flu or prevent it, but they can certainly create viruses that kill you. Something's wrong with that scenario, isn't it? But then if they were to give us cures for things, we'd live for a long time, and that would be counterproductive to their agenda, which is to decrease the population. Logic must play in here somewhere. Here's from an article. It's from the Dow Jones Newswires, December the 23rd, 2008, by Peter Loftus. Now, remember, this is how a presentation is given by a corporation to the media. It says, Gla- "Glax is Glaxo Smith Klein, PLC, also GSK for short." wants to be one of the safest places to work in the event of a flu pandemic. So here's their, their spiel, they want it to be safe where they work for the workers. The UK drug maker spent nearly two years making contingency plans to protect this global workforce so the company can continue manufacturing the drugs and vaccines it thinks will be critical if a, a major flu outbreak hits. Whether the preparations are enough is an open question. I'd add do the work is another. As experts note that factors outside Glasgow's control could render the best-lead plans moot. And he goes on about his wonderful plans to protect their workers. But it also tells you in the article that part of the program is to get their own workers used to, to accepting the flu shot. So obviously the people who worked there and saw how this stuff is made didn't want to get it themselves. And it says in the article, it'll also help to basically condition the workers, to keep getting up to upgraded flu shots. But the way it's written here, you'd think that, that, that we're such a humanitarian organization. We just want to save the world. And it's not. Remember, this is one of the biggest businesses on the planet. And they make the best money during hype and fear and terror. That's what it's all about. There's never been a flu shot out there yet that's ever worked. And every time you're heading into the winter, millions of dollars are spent across the planet, maybe billions, who knows, to get everyone to go and get what they say is free flu shots. Now, nothing's free. The governments use your tax money to pay for all. But great business, this fascist system we live in, it's great business for the big corporations when government mandates this kind of stuff. Fantastic. And then every spring, and then come the summer, go through all their data and statistics and they tell you that they got they got the mix wrong again. They've never had the mix right yet to get the right flus supposedly prevented. Never had it yet, never happened. So read that article because it ties in with where I'm going next. Now here's another article here and it's it's on this very subject the mail online. Killer Australian flu strain set to spread across UK exp- experts, worn by the Daily Mail, 29th December 2008. And right off the bat, there's a picture of a guy with a white coat, with his old clipboard, with a pen in his hand, and a stethoscope around him, so I guess he's the expert. And there's a patient looking up at him. And so she's, she's looking up at a statue of the local god. Just to let you know, that's what an expert looks like. Experts are warning that the current outbreaks of flu are expected to intensify in the new year as the Australian strain that can be fatal spreads across the UK. The current flu epidemic, already on course to be the worst for eight years, now that they've never had more people inoculated than, than this winter. Right? The current flu epidemic, already on course to be the worst for eight years, will get worse as infection usually peaks between January and March, they warn. The European Influenza Surveillance Scheme, EISS, says the H3N2 Brisbane 10 flu strain that caused a severe epidemic and killed six children in Australia is spreading, with the UK, Ireland, Bulgaria and Spain experiencing it at medium intensity. The United Kingdom Health Protection Agency and the Royal College of GPs have reported a sharp rise in number of flu-like illnesses over the past two weeks. Flu-like illnesses is very vague, you see, with pensioners being the worst hits. The sharp rise left the, the National Health Service struggling to cope over Christmas. Thousands of GP surgeries closed over this period, leaving sufferers nowhere to go for help except accident and emergency wards hospitals are already under more pressure than usual because outbreaks of the winter vomiting bug norovirus. So so there's another one out there too that gives you a, a stomach problem. Latest figures show that among the over 65s, 45 in every 100,000 people now have flu, up from just 18 a week ago. There is still the 15 to 44 age group who are reporting the most cases, with a rate of 80 per 100,000 it is the elderly who are most likely to die from the flu. Well, that's, that's the general one of things. This year's outbreak, blamed on an Australian strain of the virus called Brisbane, H3N2, is well and course to be the worst since 1999, when 22,000 people, I guess it's across the planet, died, it says. However, an outbreak does not officially become an epidemic until the rate is higher than 200 per 100,000. The last time this happened was in 1989. So then they, they give you the usual stuff about how the flu works, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Says the Professor Steve Field, chairman of the Royal College of GPs, said, older age groups are now showing increases, and if the most serious consequences, the extra load on the lungs, possible with viral pneumonia, and the increased risk of contracting a second bacterial infection. I've heard of so many people getting the flu shot, they end up getting pneumonia right after it. And that's pretty common. It says the NHS is coping remarkably well in the circumstances, although there are some very desperate problems in the West Midlands. But that ties in with the next part I'm going to go on to. Because this is hype, 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 hype. We get this every year. And how come they they keep getting to say the shot's wrong? Why do they keep telling you it's going to help you if it's never helped anybody yet across the planet? And at least they can't prove it. So you can prove that those who had the shots definitely still get flu. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix. Trying to show you how so much of the world is one big giant con game. And how In an economic system, there are more cons than ever. That's how the system works. That's how the big profits work and so on. And we're at such an advanced stage of science, at least in the military side of things, it makes you wonder why they can't cure things at the bottom level of science, at your GP level or the hospital level. But then again, that would be counterproductive, as I say. Before I go on to the next article, though, still on the same one from the Mail Online. I was looking at the comments on the article itself from people who emailed in. And here's one it's from a guy in, in England, I guess. He says, I have a heart problem to my surprise and, and was advised to have a flu jab to avoid catching pneumonia that could finish me off. And today enjoying my sixth day in bed due to contracting the flu. I've never been so ill. So far as I'm concerned, the flu jab does not work at all. If I sold their product to do a particular job and it failed to do so, then I am liable under law, as is the manufacturer. So as far as I'm concerned, whoever manufactured the doughs I had also sold goods that were not of merchantable quality and unf- unfit for the purpose. Anyone know of a good, no win, no fee lawyer. And, and that's so common. But they'll tell you in the spring they got it wrong again. They say they always take three strains the things could be the prevalent strains and mix them together with their hocus pocus and, and stick it into you. But strangely enough, those that seem to get the jabs come down at least the people I know personally come down with the flu and pneumonia very, very quickly. But let's go on to this next article because this is more important, it ties in with all of this to show you where I'm getting at. And this is in the Yahoo News today. This is researchers unlock secrets of 1918 flu pandemic. That was a big pandemic that killed a lot of people off back then. And I have mentioned in a few programs a CBC documentary, an excellent documentary. If anyone's got it out there, maybe you could burn a copy and send it to me. I, I watched it at the time. It was a few years back where... A Dr. Campbell of Canada was financed by the government, as far as I can tell, to go off to Norway and unearth some bodies buried in the permafrost in Norway uh, from that 1918 flu pandemic to try to get lung samples, frozen lung samples, that would still have frozen viruses in it or in them. And at the same time, the documentary showed a Norwegian guy who came over to Canada went up into the Inuit territory, and got permission from a tribal elder to dig up some graves there. He, he ended up with the live viruses, apparently, where the Canadian ones said that the samples they got had been through so many melts and thaws and freezes they were inviolable for use. But it, And I think that the article may have been called uh, um, Unearthing a Deadly Virus or, or a Killer Disease, but unearthing, I think, was the first part of it, so people should have a look for that. CBC documentaries archive. Now, at the time when I saw it, I thought, "Who's really financing this, and why? Why would you dig up something that was deadly?" Because we know, and I've done many articles on the military-industrial complex, and how any discovery goes towards killing people before it goes towards helping anybody. They're always in the lead in that uh, area. And this article kind of ties in with this as I say, this Yahoo article I'm really going to read here. It says, Researchers have found out what made the 1918 flu pandemic so deadly. A group of three genes that lets the virus invade the lungs and cause pneumonia. Now, during that, that pandemic or epidemic, as it was really, uh, your lungs became so congested but eventually, you'd have little ruptures and hemorrhages in the lung tissue itself, and people actually bled from the nose, mouth, and even the eyes. Around the eyes were bleeding. So you, could, you can imagine how a military industrial complex would be right into that. Because I, I've gone into what they've been into for such a long time, many times myself. I've written it, written their, touched about their articles, read from their articles, and so on. This Yahoo article continues. It says that they mix samples. Now, here's what they can do, right? These scientists they mix samples of the 1918 influenza strain with modern seasonal flu viruses to find the three genes, and said that their study might help the development of new flu drugs. Right? Sure. Because, as I said, you know where all this information is going to end up in the Pentagon, in Porton Downs, and other places across the world, where they turn to viral warfare. The discovery published in Tuesday's issue of the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences could also point to mutations that might turn ordinary flu into a dangerous pandemic strain. Now, they go on to tell you that they've done that. Now, listen. This is Yoshihiro uh, Kalaoki of the University of Wisconsin and colleagues at the Universities of Kobe and Tokyo in Japan used ferrets, which developed flu in ways very similar to humans. Usually, flu causes an upper respiratory infection affecting the nose and throat, as well as so-called systemic illnesses causing fever, muscle aches and weaknesses. But some people become seriously ill and develop pneumonia. Sometimes bacteria cause the pneumonia. But just, they don't cause well, sometimes they do. They break through the tissue that's all ruptured. And sometimes flu does it directly. During pandemics such as 1918, a new and more dangerous flu strain emerges. And I'll continue this article because it tells you what I've been really getting at through the last three articles. I'll be back with
0: more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
1: Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix reading an article from Yahoo on this 1918 flu virus that they've been tampering with recently and this is what the scientists said since we wanted to know why the 1918 flu caused severe pneumonia Kawa Oka said in a statement "They pain now here's what they can do right they they can't cure anything they can certainly make Killer viruses. We wanted to know why the 19 caused this, this pneumonia. They painstakingly substituted single genes from the 1918 virus into modern flu viruses. So, take a modern flu virus, and then one at a time, taken genes and substitute them into these modern flu viruses from the killer flu in 1918. And one after the other, they acted like garden variety flu, infecting only the upper respiratory tract. That's the common flu. But, except for, but a complex of three genes from the 1980 flu helped to make the virus live and reproduce deep in the lungs, so they succeeded in making it a killer virus. The three genes called PA, PB1, and PB2, along with the 1918 version of the nucleoprotein, or NP gene, modern seasonal flu kill ferrets in much the same way as the original 1918 flu, Kawaoka's team found. Most flu experts agree that a pandemic of influenza will almost certainly strike again, so here they go into why they're doing it, so they cover themselves. No one knows when or what strain it will be, but one big suspect now is the H5N1 avian influenza virus. So once again, the idea is to get your flu shots, etc. But... You see what they've done. Here they are. They took a few genes from the one that made it a killer virus in 1918 and eventually got it to work and reproduce in modern flus. So they've got a beautiful killer now made that that works. Guess what the military industrial complex will give for that one, right? And I've no doubt whatsoever, with all the hype they've been feeding us, apart from making the big, big bucks from all the these antiviral drugs and so on, and for all the flu shots I've been given year after year, apart from that, they do want to depopulate the planet big time. It's not all the literature from the top. In fact, it's open on mainstream media at times, where the eugenicists come out in force and in teams, often in panels and debate the problems of overpopulation and the wrong types of people and... You can't, you've got too many alcoholics, you've got too many this and too many of that. It just burdens on society. So I have no doubt, when you hear people like Prince Philip or Mr. Rockefeller or any other big top ones up there that promote depopulation, that they have the ability and the power and command and resources to do so. They can depopulate and that's this is a great way to do it is pandemics. Because pandemics can be con- to an extent controlled, be locked in certain areas. And the beauty of it is it doesn't kill everybody off at once. They want us to bury our own dead as we have in the past. Tidy things up for them for the future, you see. And they can keep using that over many years, maybe five years, maybe ten years as it flares up and flares down and flares up and down until it's gone. It's a wonderful way to go. But in the meantime, as I say, for those that have money and they want to invest it, uh, with the hype that's going on, you probably couldn't do any worse, at least, than invest with the big companies that are making the supposed flu shots and the antiviral drugs that haven't been proven if they're effective or not. And if you go back to that first article I read from the Dow Jones Newswires, you'll tell them too that GlaxoSmithKline Smith Klein is also working with lots of hen farmers. It's good business for hen farming because they buy all these eggs to use for the creation of the vaccines. So it's two good businesses to be in if you want to make a buck, especially when governments throwing so much money at them and buying all their products. They'll probably never be used. Now, we'll go to the phones now, and we've got uh, Terry from Calgary on the line. Are you there, Terry?
0: Hi, Alan. How are you?
1: I'm hanging in here,
0: yes. Oh, that's great. I hope you uh, got a lot of donations for Christmas.
1: I got a few. I got a few. I should mention that, too. The people can donate on a website, that keeps me going. And Actually, it drops off. It drops off over the holiday period when people are too happy, you see.
0: Oh thats terrible. I think two
1: people are so uh, they're worried people are worried about the economy.
0: Well, it's getting worse every day, yes, and uh, everyone realizes it now and uh, <clears throat> it's so the reason the reason I was calling tonight, Alan, I was just before I walked in just before your show started, I looked up in the sky and it was a clear sky, and there was a crescent moon, yes, with a very bright star mm-hmm. right above it. Mm-hmm. and astral-theologically speaking, am I looking at the Sanhedrin and the Nascent? Yeah. yeah, you are.
1: The new moon is, is uh, a, a nascent, even the word nascent or nascent moon comes from it too. Uh, that's the new moon, and that's where the Nascent comes from, and that was a, a symbol too of, of the, the Sanhedrin. Yeah.
0: i encourage everyone to go out and have a look at that right now if they have a clear sky. Yeah. It, it, and the, the crescent moon, would that represent the seat of the 12 tribes or the 12 ruling families? And, and the, that what star is that right above that I'm looking at?
1: I haven't looked out, but I know that Venus is up right now, uh, pretty bright. And uh, often you'll you find Venus, um, sometimes in certain times of the, uh, of the year, uh, in between the horns of the moon.
0: Because right now it's almost perpendicular and bright, bright, brighter than any star in the sky.
1: Yes, uh-huh. and that's what it will be, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, everything's symbolic. If you look at the, the hammer and sickle that the Soviets had, you'll also, if you look off to the top horn of the sickle, which is also the nascent moon, you'll see that little star there as well on their flag. Hmm.
0: Okay, I just was interested in your comments on that, but thank you very much. Yes. but it's
1: Yeah, they certainly do love um, astronomy, because the ancient cults had their stellar, their lunar, and their solar cults that dealt with all of that. They were all the, the magi, and they had their own specialities and they kept track of time. They could tell people when to plant and so on. But they could also use it for portents of danger, where they fleeced the public. They also had amazing records going back thousands of years, thousands of years ago, where they knew when eclipses would happen and so on. And once again, it fleeced the public because the prayers would be given by the the high priesthood. And lo and behold, the sun would come out again after the, 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 the public were taking no chances. If it didn't pay up, well, it might never come back again. It was a good con, worked very well. Today, it's other cons that go on, like, you know, all these coming diseases and so on. In an age where they can create diseases, they just can't find a way to cure them. It's all hit and miss, and it's maybe this and maybe that. Just don't know how to cure anything or prevent something. But they can certainly create killer diseases quite easily in this day and age. And we'll also Dan from Kentucky on the line. You're there, Dan.
0: Hello, Alan. Yes. Thanks for all your work, and uh, I had a question. Those archives you just mentioned, uh, you said that knowledge is power, and uh, they have uh, scientific knowledge and uh, all the formulas for psychology and situations and so forth. Do those archives also include what uh, we would call spiritual principles? Oh, absolutely, uh, because the earliest forms of
1: studying people and controlling them were through all kinds of uh, ancient religions. So they took, what they did is basically study people on maths, and, and but what do they have all in common, the individuals within the mass, what do they have in common? And they, they watch your mating habits, your, your they know when the hormones kick in, they know how young males and females behave and so on, what's occupying their minds you know, what older people are concerned with. But they also know that people have a a, a desire because they are, are technically a religious people. We try to make sense out of our existence in this universe and we, we, we find a comfort from the religion. And so, therefore, they found very early on that they could be the masters of religion, uh, especially when they were the educated ones and the public were kept in dire ignorance. We, we forget that it's, it's, you know, in the... The people, the general populations of the the world were given no education up until about the 1800s, late 1800s. And even then it was the most minimalistic education just so they could work in an industrial era and read basic writing and pass notes and and read read their instructions and so on. Um, But prior to that, for thousands of years, it was only a priesthood and the clerics who could read and write. And that was an amazing power to have Uh, when you're you're lording over people who are living in the now, their own particular now, all they knew was was what happened in their own lifetime, in their own little area, and it was all passed with word of mouth and so on, and then the church told them all the rest that they they had to know. So, yeah, religion has has been a, a very powerful, it still is a very powerful tool, and that's why people... Uh, like uh, Gorbachev, who says that he's an atheist in his own books, uh, talks about creating a a world religion based on earth worship for the masses. So they will always use religion um, in every era. That's why the whole foundation-funded globalist uh, green-type movement uh, with depopulation and worshipping the planet is is all coming together. They've created an actual religion for it, so... Uh, we've, we've, nothing happens by itself in the system. It's promoted from the top down through big money and power.
0: Yeah. Thanks a lot and hope you have a good new year.
1: Uh, and you too. Yeah, you did never ever miss a chance to use religion. And even, and I'll give, make a little prediction too, once they, they have people interfaced with the computer, uh, at least in the early phases, if we still have the ability to be individuals and conscious at the same time, they'll give you a new transcendent experience. At least your your brain will think it's having one, and you'll all be truly one. But eventually you won't even uh, be you anymore because they want to eliminate individuality altogether. You'll be connected to everyone else, supposedly. And I've read so many articles recently on this very topic put out by the futurists who are funded to, to do so. And they fund novelists to put it in their novels, and the movie makers put it in their movies to try and make people all
0: enthused
1: about being hooked up and into the Internet, into a virtual reality. But what they never mention is history, right up to the present time. Because in history, we've always had masses of people dominated by a few. Just like today, we're ruled really by a few. And the whole idea is to to dominate the minds of everyone beneath you. And once you have your little brain chip inserted, and that will come eventually, there'll be no more you. You'll have conquered every single one. So don't ever think they're going to allow, they're going to create some big Disneyland playground for you to go uh, web surfing in, in your mind, because they love you so much. And they'll leave you alone to stay you. No, that's not the intent of it. The intent is to eliminate... The very thought or discussion of you as a distinct personality—that is the intention of it. This has been the dream all down through the ages of every single tyrant. They could never, they could never imagine so much power. If someone creates a program, it's not you. You'll be in a virtual reality where someone else is pulling the strings, but it won't be you. And here's another article I want to touch on, too, to do with reality and how hype creates masses of profit. Even when you're getting raped. I always think of Rothschild's statement when he was asked, uh, when is the best time to make a lot of money, invest money? He says, when the blood is, is running in the streets. I mean, in times of dire crisis, is where you make your biggest killings financially. And this is from also from Yahoo News, Monday, December 22nd, by Matt Apuzzo. This is where'd the bailout money go? Shh, it's a secret. From Washington, it's something any bank would demand to know before handing out a loan. Where's the money going? But after receiving billions in aid from U.S. taxpayers, the nation's largest banks say they can't track exactly how they're spending the money, or they simply refuse to discuss it. We've lent some of it. We've not lent some of it. We're not giving any accounting of. Here's how we're doing it, said Thomas Kelly, a spokesman for J.P. Morgan Chase, which received $25 billion in emergency bailout money. We've not disclosed that to the public. We're declining to. You're paying for all. The public are paying for this, but they have no right to know what's happening to the money. The Associated Press contracted 21 banks in that received at least $1 billion in government money and asked four questions. How much has been spent? How is was it spent on? How much is being held in savings? And what's the plan for the rest? None of the banks provided specific answers. We're not providing dollar-in, dollar-out tracking, said Barry Colling, a spokesman for Atlanta, Georgia-based SunTrust Banks, incorporated, which got $3.5 billion in taxpayer dollars. So they're not tracking it, you said. Some banks said they simply don't know where the money was going. We manage our capital in its aggregate, said Regions Financial Corp spokesman Tim Dayton, who said the Birmingham, Alabama-based company is not tracking how it is spending the $3.5 billion it received. As part of the financial bailout, the answers highlight the secrecy surrounding the troubled asset relief program, which earmarked $700 billion dollars, about the size of the Netherlands or the Holland's economy to help rescue the financial industry. Remember, I did the article at the time where a woman at the, the Treasury Department said, when she was asked how they picked the number, she says, we just wanted a nice big sum. They had nothing to go on to even pick $700 billion. Nothing. Nothing, not even a graph. They actually pull out graphs and charts to try and confuse you. They didn't even have that ready, nothing at all. Just picked $700 billion, a nice big sum to help rescue the financial industry. The Treasury Department has been using the money to buy stock in U.S. banks, hoping that a sudden inflow of cash will get banks to start lending money. There's been no accounting of how banks spend the money. Lawmakers summoned bank executives to Capitol Hill last month and implored them to lend the money, not to hoard it or spend it on corporate bonuses, junkets, or to buy other banks. But there's no process in place to make sure that's happening And there are no consequences for banks who don't comply. This is a great deal, eh? What a great deal if you're in that kind of business where government just throws billions of dollars at you and then kind of sheepishly asks you to keep you informed as to how you're spending it. And you you say to the government, no. (laughs) I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. An article from Yahoo, which has gone on about the, the fact that these guys are getting all the big bailouts, don't have to tell the government what they're doing with the cash. It's, never, it's wonderful, isn't it, if you're up there with them, in their big fancy office suites and wearing their big expensive clothes and so on. They must be laughing up their sleeves. The taxpayers, the taxpayers, they did all the right things. The person at the bottom does all the right things to try to save a little bit of cash up, and, and buy a home and do all the right things, but the big gamblers at the top destroy it all for them. And then the guys at the bottom have to lose their homes to pay for the tax for these big gamblers at the top so they can live the same lifestyle and carry on as usual. It's not bad. It's not a bad deal. That's called fascism, by the way. They always loop the public every 50 to 100 years. This is traditional in this system with the article, it says, it's entirely appropriate for the American tax people or people to know how their taxpayer dollars are being spent in private industry, said Elizabeth Warren, the top congressional watchdog, overseeing the financial bailout. So that was the voicing, what you voiced yourself, you see. But at least for now, there's no way for taxpayers to find that out. Pressured by the Bush administration to prove the money quickly, Congress attached nearly no strings in the $700 billion bailout in October, the Treasury Department, which doles out the money, never asked banks how it would be spent. I know people who were paid a little bit more on their welfare in Ontario, Canada, after their unemployment insurance ran out, and the government seized their bank accounts right away. Seized it. These guys get billions, and they don't even have to fill in forms as to where the money is going. One for the rich and one for the poor, eh? It says those are legitimate questions that should have been asked on day one, said Representative Scott Garrett, a House Financial Services Committee member who opposed the bailout as it was rushed through Congress. Where's the money going to go? How's it going to be spent? When are we going to get a record on it? Nearly every bank AP question, including Citibank and Bank of America, to the largest recipients of bailout money responded with generic public relations statements explaining that the money was being used to strengthen balance sheets, probably with steel girders, and continue making loans to ease the credit crisis. A few banks described company specific programs, such as J.P. Morgan Chase's plan, to lend $5 billion to non-profit and healthcare companies next year. Richard Becker, a senior vice president of Wisconsin-based Marshall and Eiley Group, said the 1.75 bailout money, allowed the bank to temporarily stop foreclosing on homes. Temporarily stop. Are they expecting another bailout? But no bank provided even the most basic accounting for the federal money. We're choosing not to disclose that, said Kevin Hine, spokesman for Bank of New York Mellon, which received about $3 billion. That's not bad, isn't it? Not bad at all. Others said the money couldn't be tracked. Bob Denham, a spokesman for North Carolina-based BB&T Corp, said the bailout money doesn't have its own bucket, but he said taxpayer money wasn't used in the bank's recent purchase of a Florida insurance company. <laughs> Asked how he could be sure since the money wasn't being tracked, Denham said the bank would have made that deal regardless. <laughs> Others, such as Morgan Stanley spokeswoman Carissa Ramirez, offered no offer to discuss the matter with reporters on condition of anonymity. Ah, life is such a a, a cruel, sick, farcical joke, but it's run by very clever shysters at the top. And that's the music playing for the foreclosure of tonight. So, from Hamish and myself and to your Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.